Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today, we're into A Storm of Swords, brand chapter one. Matt, how are you doing, my friend? Whoa, man, you know, this year uh, just keeps getting crazier and crazier. I agree. Jimmy, I mean, I, you were telling me about, you know, geez, you have you got you to fly to, Jimmy's got to fly to Denver. We're going to take a, a little little uh you know just beginning of this podcast talk about life and some of the other things that are going on before we dive into it because we got a really good chapter today um we do but yeah man jimmy you got to fly to denver you know once a quarter how is that you know i thought it would be cooler than it was but it turns out when you go somewhere for work just not that interesting and then you just sit around the whole time you're like i could be reading a book i could be doing anything else but now i have to sit in my hotel room for another eight hours and wait to go back to work and then, matt i don't like it i don't like it the least and the older i get the smaller these airplane seats seem to be or maybe i'm just gaining weight but my god i'm sick of flying yeah man let me tell you i know i don't fly very often but when i do i have to fly to ohio and there's no way to fly from portland oregon to ohio in a direct flight so it's always a layover somewhere i can fly to <laughs> Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I went last year for a one, one week vacation. I went to Mexico and there's a direct flight from Portland, but there is no direct flight to Columbus, Ohio, which is like, you know, the 12th biggest city in the United States. Can't do Bro, it. When I came out to see you, I had to take a connecting flight. I had to go Where'd to O'Hare and run to my next plane. It was terrible. Yeah. O'Hare's not that great of a, of an airport. It, it sounds like we're about to segue into like a spirit airlines ad. <laughs> Doesn't hey, it? you know, hey, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, real quick, though, let me tell you. So you guys do know that Jimmy and I, we, we get ad reads for yeah. the podcast. And it's a lot of fun, actually, now that we like get them because we get to kind of do our own. Um, I think uh, you still might be listening to some factor ads right now. But uh, we actually, oddly enough, I just bought a new car because I wrecked my old one. So I had to buy a new one. And that was a process. Let me tell How you. How did you wreck your car, Matt? Did I not share that on the podcast? I thought I did. How, how did I? Well, I injured my back, like Mike Tyson, spinal, spinal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it injured my back. It was not very pleasant, and I drove to work. And I tried to park in the parking garage, and I was basically stopped, and my foot slipped because I had a herniated disc. Uh, I guess I, technically it's a disc extrusion, which is where the disc actually opens up, and it like stuff comes out, and it pinches your nerve. It is not pleasant. I'm still dealing with it. It sucks. And anyway, my leg was like spasming and I was trying to press the brake and I pressed the gas. And so I basically was in a parking garage uh, like, you know, and you're right up against like a concrete wall in the block. And then it was also like, you know how they have like the, the little corner sections that come out. So I went up over this block and totally just totaled my car. It totally sucked. <laughs> it was it was not fun whatsoever. So anyway, I had to buy a new one. And I uh, finally settled on the RAV4, the Toyota RAV4, after trying a bunch of them. And then out of all the things, Toyota today was like, hey, do you guys want to run, run, want to run an ad for us? So here you go, Toyota. Here's a free one. Uh, you were way more pleasant to deal with than Mazda. I can say that. So <laughs> hopefully Mazda does not try to reach out to us because not interested. We only support things we believe in here. That's right. You're a Toyota okay. driver, aren't you, Jimmy? I am a Toyota driver through and through, my friend. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. You got the old Corolla there. I got the Camry. The Camry. That's what I meant. Yeah. Thing will last me hopefully 30 years. 
it's same good so far so that's what I, we have the four we have the toyota forerunner and now we will have the toyota rav4 so nice man well uh, my dad had a heart attack this past i know week. my god <laughs> i get home from denver i'm miserable i want to get back into my routine i'm trying to schedule with you to do this podcast episode and dad's ticker went boom and uh thankfully he he's on the mend he had three stints put in he had five bypasses like a decade ago or de more than a decade ago. So this time only having to be stints was a, was a relief. He was in and out of the hospital within like 36 hours, which is just, you know, that's crazy. That's that insane. Wild. When he had his yeah. heart attacks, you know, just a little while ago, 10 years ago, he, he was in the hospital for 11 days. I think now bypass surgery is much more intense than stints, but I don't know. It's just, it's just a uh, crazy modern medicine and, and what, what it's capable of it. And uh, I don't know the the house nuts is earning their name. That's all I'll yeah. say. Getting catfished, these uh, <laughs> heart attacks. I mean, I don't know what's going on, Matt. It's uh, this year, man. 2020, 2023 is just uh, yeah, it is rough. Yeah. So Jimmy and I haven't even really talked to each other in like two weeks because <laughs> we because we did we did our regular episode and then we got all that news from George about some, you know the hedge night show and everything so we double recorded that week so we haven't really talked since then so it's kind of like man i just it feels weird normally it's like you know jimmy and i record on tuesday nights and so yeah i feel like we get our weekly check-in but then i haven't talked to you in like two weeks like, god there's so many things that yeah, are, that are like, going hey, on my world's falling apart how are you <laughs> all right you know geez just just some just so much going on here but i am going to pop one on you here real quick jimmy okay. all right all right so we were supposed to do and we talked about it. We really hyped it up. And then I blew up my back and I basically couldn't even talk. Uh, couldn't even like sit to talk. Uh, and so it literally threw me off for like an entire month. But we were going to do a draft. That was the whole game plan. Mm -hmm. was we were going to do a Song of Ice and Fire war trial by seven draft. And we still may do it at some point. But, you know, this is the week of the NFL draft. And I know everyone's out there and they're thinking about their favorite teams and who's going to get picked. And is this guy going to be a bust, you know? So, all right, here, I guess here's, here's my question, Jimmy, you are, okay. you are on, you're on the clock. Okay. Oh. You first pick overall. I want to know who are you taking and who do you think is actually, then you know, we may, you know, we still don't know. So it, the, overall you can pick any character that exists in a song of ice and fire and then tell me who you think is somebody that's going to bust who's a bust from like from where they're at now to dream of spring okay so so I, you're asking me my first round draft pick and then who i think is most likely to be a bust yeah okay first overall draft pick uh just as a character i'm taking jamie lannister jamie lannister franchise player as good as it gets, I would say. And if I had to pick one character that I think could be a bust, and I, I'm going to take this in a canon way where it's like they're going to fall flat on their face, Peter Baelish. I think Peter Baelish is going to steam his way almost all the way to the top, and then it's just all going to come crashing down. Uh, much better resolved in the books than the show, for sure. Uh, but that would be my pick for a bust because, you know, right now, if you take where we're at in A Dance with Dragons, you know, where we left off, Baelish is, you know, he has some stuff he's got to get through, but he's looking pretty pristine right now with Sansa Stark sitting in the veil. So 
it looks like he's a good prospect maybe to, to climb even further, but I think he, he will most likely end up busting. What about you? Well, you know, I mean, for me, I think if you're going to go with the first, you know, that first round pick, it's typically somebody who has no blemishes on them. Right. So I feel like Jon Snow would actually, you know, obviously we look at it now and we have the context of the show and everything. But I think if you were like, you know, in a Westeros draft, you might be like, I don't know. You know, he's part of the Night's Watch, even though we know he's the real deal. So he's actually somebody who could fall and be like that Patrick Mahomes type that all these other guys get drafted ahead of him. And then he's just like, you know. Hey. He's he's the he's the real deal, and you just sat and you watched everyone. But if you were a first pick overall, you know, I think you I think I may have gone with Oberyn Martell. You know, I could have seen myself being like, this guy's a legit warrior. He's the real deal, and then you know you realize he's not. So maybe I'm the Detroit Lions or something. Maybe oh. I'm the Browns. Okay. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know. You fall sometimes you just fall for a guy, you know. He is is Oberyn Martell the Will Levis of is he Johnny Menzel? Is he and then somebody who I think is gonna bust? I kind of have a feeling Braun might be a bust. He's a you great think? character. I just I don't know, man. I do you think he's gonna make it? Do you think do you think he's do you think at the end of a dream of spring is Braun alive? Yes. You think so? I do think so. I do. Maybe. I'm so, I, I'm definitely affected by the show at this point, right? And we know that the show gave him a lot more because ratings were good when he was on screen, apparently. But uh, I don't know. I just don't see when Braun gets killed off. I guess at any point in any of the wars. And it would probably be pretty devastating to Tyrion. But I almost feel like that's that's one of the links that Tyrion has to continue to have throughout the series like Braun is almost a witness to all the things that Tyrion has done that are good and bad so he's like so important as as that the only real witness to all this um yeah yeah I think he'll be alive I think he'll be alive I don't think so I think I think Braun's riding high until the end and then maybe oops he does do you something. think he'll like permanently cross Tyrion like right now obviously he's doing what he has to do to stay alive but do you think he'll like just permanently cross him at some point yeah you know it's another one of those things where I felt like the show kind of teased like he was going to and maybe that was because he remember that like weird little interaction we got where he like catches Jamie and Tyrion yeah, I don't even remember. it's like it's just and it's just like He's just like, hey, guys, I got you now. And I was like, what is even just, happening? And then it was like, OK, great. I guess we're fine. Like, it was so bizarre and weird. It's it like, was not good. It was, it was not good. So I feel like that might be a thing where George was like, George told Dan and Dave, hey, you know, like that Braun's going to betray Tyrion and Jamie. And then they were like, well, uh, OK. And, you know, what did George say about Braun again? Oh, yeah. he but Yeah. So then just write him off. Or something. I don't know. Yeah. And remember, the I, Jamie Braun stuff's all show. That's all show based, right? Like they kind of right. built that relationship for for the Dorn plot, the subplot of Dorn right. that they fumbled horrendously. Right. Um, and then, of course, you know, the actors, the whole deal was he didn't want to be on screen with Cersei on a Hetty. Yeah, because they dated and it didn't go well so who knows that an entire thing had to be changed around so yeah he's he's an interesting character definitely that uh is is for my opinion like very different in the show and and the way that he's going to go uh in the books we do need to do that draft though we we we're not giving up on that idea that we're not something we're going to do it's just it's actually a lot bigger of a project than it seems because you got to right. get 
more people involved. Other, we gotta, yeah, we got to get two other people that really know what the hell they're talking about. Um, yeah. We ha- yeah, we have one. We just got it. We, we need to find another one. So, um, okay. Well, with that, anything else uh, before we dive in? You know, we talked about the uh, Night of Seven Kingdoms show coming out. Anything that we want to do? Uh, yeah, we're just into? excited about Duncan Egg and, and the news. And uh, we're we're happy to be reading some storm of swords the chapter we have today is very good yeah so let's dive in so this is bran one now it's been a while right since we were with bran but now mira and jojen are there and we're kind of getting ready to really start diving into that uh so here we go so bran one while hiding in the tumbleton tower bran gains the ability to open his third eye at will become um and become summer jojen again warns him not to spend too much time as summer neglecting his body and forgetting what uh he should do when in contact with his direwolf they have been traveling north staying away from civilizations for fear that bran might be seen especially by the iron men or bolton men jojen insists they will make for the wall so that bran can find the three-eyed crow because jojen can teach him no more yeah uh one thing that struck me with this uh reread of this chapter is just how like kind of creepy jojen is overall like green eyes and shaggy hair it just just a lot more daunting i think in the book doesn't it you know the more i the more i read about them does it seem you know not that i immediately want to start diving into like tower of joy stuff and stuff (laughs) but the more you read about Mira and Jojen, doesn't it seem like they are not related? Am They're I? Am, very I, different. I mean, am I? I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, or maybe I'm just trying to make some theories work. But <laughs> I just feel like the more I read chapters with them, they just don't. It just doesn't seem to click as their brother and sister. To me. <clears throat> they are very polar opposites, but I also think that we could look at someone like Tyrion and Cersei and maybe make the same same kind of uh, suggestion, but. The, the one thing that's certainly clear is that Jojen is kind of haunted in, in a way. And one of the things I really like about A Song of Ice and Fire is that the magic is not really well explained, but the consequences are pretty obvious, right? Blood magic always ending uh, in some sort of sacrifice, king's blood, all this stuff. And Jojen happens to have green dreams. And you can just see that this is not something that makes him feel powerful. It's not something that makes him feel good. In fact, it, it almost seems like it's obsessive for him to come and get the winged wolf that's chained down in Winterfell. Uh, it, it seemed like he had no choice, that he had to go and do these things. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Matt, is do you think Jojen was born with this by chance, hereditary? Or do you think that the three-eyed crow chose jojen you know um i think it's possible and it would be very interesting if that were the case because then the three-eyed crow blood raven would have chosen two sons of two men who were at the tower of joy mm-hmm. yes and jojen is significant i mean because of that and just the just the fact that both of them that happen to be connected to this character is something pretty significant. Yes, and Alan Reed, the Cragman, is very mysterious. Like we and we don't have a dime on him at all in this series. And, no, Alan Reed, Alan Reed is by far the most intriguing character because he's my favorite X Factor. 
Yeah, because you know all we hear about is the Isle of Faces and how you can't go there, or you're you'll, you'll never come back. And Howland Reed, and this is why, like Howland Reed makes no sense. What I mean, what like <laughs> his there's no there's other than like maybe the Tower of Joy, but at least you could read the Tower of Joy and like what happens after at like face value, because clearly a lot of people in the realm does. But there's but none of the Howland Reed stuff adds up. I mean, it's like first of all he is described as the chronic man by Mira Reed when she's telling the story of like what went down at the tourney at Harrenhal and all of this stuff. She never says my father. She never says my, she literally, if you go and read that passage, yeah. which we'll, which we'll get to, uh, I think in, you know, one of the upcoming brand chapters, she describes him as the chronic man. And it's so bizarre and weird. Then we learn that this chronic man has like chronic man magic and this, he can go train at the Isle of Faces before he goes to Harrenhal. Think about that. He go, he does all of this training at this Isle of Faces, which is all these weirwood trees who are probably connected to Blood Raven. And he does all of this training there before he goes to the tourney at Harrenhal and then meets Ned Stark and Lyanna and Rhaegar and all these people. He goes there after he's successfully made his way to the Isle of Faces, which again, you're not supposed to be able to go to. And he then suddenly becomes like a wuss and can't fight these people that need Ned Stark to come stick up for him. Like it makes zero sense. Zero or Liana, sense. Right. Lyanna Stark yeah. supposedly is an Isle of Laughing Tree and, and none of it, it 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 does not none of it adds up. Helen Reed is the biggest mystery for me, maybe character wise, without a doubt. Uh, you know, I would put Skagos Island up there <laughs> right behind him. So the way I look at it is it's not that surprising that Jojen is a really strange, uh, you know, demented kid almost. So maybe it is hereditary or maybe the reeds have just been chosen by, you know, blood Raven or the three eyed crow, whatever we want to call them uh, to, to be this vehicle for him to work all types of mischief within the realm. I, I, it's unclear to say right. the least. Yeah. I, and then of course, you know, we, I think there is a little bit of, uh, the story gets a little bit bigger, the myth, right? Because even like you think about nobody can find them. Yeah. Uh, and they and they live in like, you know, the marsh and the, the and if you eat too many frogs, and, you get moss under your armpits. <laughs> right. They live in Greywater Watch. And I sort of think, you know, like I think sometimes we think about like Greywater Watch as this like moving castle. I think it's more likely that it's just like for what you know. I don't know. It's on like I just imagine I just imagine literally like a hut made out of leaves that's on like an enormous lily pad that's just like floating around like in because, the bayou of louisiana yeah you know what i mean i don't know it's like on a raft that moves around or something like i don't <laughs> think it's nearly as like majestic as we sort of think because it's like the mormons only only res are you know they have like 50 people that they preside over. So Greywater Watch, it's about like 20. You know what I mean? Like it can't be more. I doubt it's more than Bear Island. I would say it's probably smaller than Bear Island. And this would be one of those times where, because we know a lot of things get kind of built up uh, in the myth and the legend. And, and a lot of it ends up being explained away. Uh, kind of like Sansa's, you know, uh, prophecy of a giant kicking down the wall at Winterfell and it turns out to be Sweet Robin kicking down her snow castle. It's like a subversion of a prophecy. I think that there are a lot of things that can be explained away and that might be one of them. But it would be fitting 
if the it was a floating mysterious city that no one can find because Helen Reed just happens to live there. Uh, and, and, you know, the children of the forest, I feel have to have some sort of connection to the reeds as well. Like I've always felt that I don't have a lot of empirical evidence about it, but it's just a gut feeling that somehow they're tied to them. Um, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I will say that I do think Jojen and Mira are two very, very different people. Yeah. It's just, it's odd. And of course there's all the stuff about Mira because she's the same age as Jon Snow and she has, obviously the character they have play her in the show looks has like identical hair uh yeah. to john and then of course Helen reed did something at the tower of joy so even if it's the exact same thing we saw in the show it still doesn't add up to what happens at heron hall yeah yeah i mean he's able to at least fight for a little bit against king members of the king's guard sure they're outnumbered and everything but but still somehow, somehow he survives you know what I mean? It's like, and then like, yeah, you could say it was two on one against Arthur Dane. It's like, well, Arthur Dane's fought a lot of probably two on ones, and won uh, all of all of yeah, them. Yeah, Arthur <laughs> Dane's so, like I mean, top three all time, man. So uh, yeah, of course, I don't know that he kills you know Arthur Dane in the in the books, but yeah, it's just it none of just none of it adds up. And then of course, he's just such a important character. Yeah. And, and, you know, for Jojen, he is the teacher that Bran has now, which Bran finds out that he's about to have another very powerful teacher. But in some ways, isn't it interesting? Like we think about the, the trope of the wizard or wizardress or witch or whatever, kind of mentoring the young, talented chosen one. And you think about like Moraine from Wheel of Time trying to be a teacher to Rand, or you think about Gandalf trying to guide Frodo. And Jojen Reed is that stand in at this point, at least for Bran. And it's that we talk. I always talk about how this is a series that looks to subvert a lot of the tropes in fantasy, but also to have a conversation with it. And I think Jojen's a really good stand in for like the mentor character whenever in Oh, actually, I don't know if he knows everything that's going on either. And then we're going to get Three-Eyed Crow as an even more demented mentor. <laughs> you know, right. if Gandalf was bad, I would say Three-Eyed Crow is kind of that equivalent. So uh, I, I really enjoy the, the teacher-student thing that's inspected here. And then we kind of get told that we're going to be looking out later for Three-Eyed Crow teaching Bran even more stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, dive, just diving in uh, to pick pick some highlights from the, this chapter because it's it's not necessarily uh, it's like a medium sized chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, the ridge slanted sharply from the earth, a long fold of stone and soil shaped like a claw. Trees clung to its lower slopes, pines and hawthorn and ash. The higher up, but the higher up, the ground was bare. The ridge line stark against the cloudy sky. He could feel the high stone calling him. Up he went, looping easy at first, then faster and higher. His strong legs eating up in the incline. Birds burst from the branches overhead as he raced by, clawing and flapping their way into the sky. He could hear every wind sighing up amongst the leaves, the squirrels chittering to one another, even when the sound of a pine cone made as it tumbled to the forest floor. The smells were a song around him, a song that filled the good green world. Hmm. So... You know, there's so much that begins to happen in these chapters. One is Bran is in the middle of a lot of different 
paths yeah. at, at this at this at this point. He's you know, he, th- he they keep using the word prince here because now he is right. He is a prince of the north since the north has declared itself and he's running away from Winterfell because he has to. Uh, he's also in the middle of trying to be more connected to summer. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he's lost his legs and he likes being in there. And then you have Jojen on the other side saying you don't want to go too far into that direction, which in some way you could read at face value as, hey, man, it's pretty dangerous. You don't want to do that. You could lose yourself and you could become a full wolf. You mm-hmm. can take over, take over your wolf. On the other side, you could sort of look at it and saying, here's jojen perhaps being influenced by the three-eyed crow pulling him away from the wolf saying no you need to move more towards the path of the crow not the wolf and then also you know look at this just right here the smells were a song around him a song that filled the good green world right Mm -hmm. which is also like the green seer idea and what's what's the sky the sky is blue Right. So green earth is good. Blue sky could be bad. And what do we think of when we think of blue, the color blue, the association with association with the White Walkers and the others? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, of direct kind of focus on green in this chapter. The green good, I, I think, is actually uh, the good green is mentioned twice. And then we're hearing about frogs who happen to also be green for the most part. We're talking about moss and the armpits talking about green dreams so george really drives home a lot of that imagery and we're definitely supposed to be thinking about these type of things he also uses colors in various ways throughout the series to signify different things and different thematic um approaches as well so this is uh this is one of the things that i noted about the chapter uh whenever i was reading through it today and you bring up a really good point we see bran warging in summer and Mm -hmm. whenever bran comes out he is a much different brand. You know, he's always been, uh, you know, he, he's a royalty. So he's, he's kind of a bratty kid in the first place, but he's much more aggressive and almost untrusting and on guard when he comes out of summer. And as much as summer is probably being influenced by brand, whenever he goes into uh, him, he's also, um, you know, obviously being influenced by the wolf in his life. So, this is just like kind of a warning tale, right? Of how dangerous being a warg really is. And it's it's a bit scary to see Bran kind of bucking back against Jojen and Mira. But Mira is, is actually the one that kind of pulls him out of his mood. And he starts acting a lot more sensible once she comes around. So it's like almost good cop, bad cop. You know, a lot of people don't trust Jojen in the fandom. I've heard a lot of people say that, that they don't trust him as far as they could throw him, which to be very small. So I think I could at least throw it pretty far, but uh, <laughs> yeah, brand warging really big stuff. Uh, you can see that there's a side effect to it. Again, talking about the, the price of magic in this world. And we have to think ahead to Jon Snow. Cause I, I do believe Jon Snow is going, his kind of soul is going to be put into ghost. And what effect is that going to have on John when he comes back? Because we're not talking about simply working in, in a dream wolf dream. We're talking about, you know, body and soul transferring into, into the wolf completely. Uh, we see other warging later on in a dance of dragons, I believe. I think that's that prologue or something like mm-hmm. that. And uh, so we'll talk about it more then, but I, I just love the fact that warging is set up to be something very powerful, yet very, very dangerous. And we see brands personality change right after he comes out of the wolf. It's crazy. Right. And, and to go on with that, look, look, if you just go a little bit further in the chapter, he's, he starts talking about smelling of a pack, right? Mm-hmm. 
but each was different too. He talks about his angry brother with the hot green eyes was near. The prince felt though he had not seen him for many hunts. Yet with every sun that set, he grew more distant than he had in the last. The others were far scattered, like leaves blown by the wild wind. Sometimes he could sense them though, as if they were still with him, only hidden from his sight by a boulder or on a strand of trees. He could not smell them, nor hear their howls at night, yet he felt their presence at his back. All but the sister they had lost. His tail drooped when he remembered her. Four now, not five. Four hmm. and one more. The white one, the white who has no voice. So, you know, there's another thing too when we think about this idea of, you know, in the show, Blood Raven, the three-eyed raven, is just sort of a good character. He assists Bran in becoming this new three-eyed raven. And there's no history about him being Blood Raven. That may change with the Dunkin' Egg show. And they may actually dive a little bit more into that and flesh that out a little bit more. But as it stands right now, even with House of the Dragon, there is nothing to sort of suggest that that is actually Brendan Rivers. It's never mentioned. Now, in the books, the three-eyed crow is totally kind of a different character. And the three-eyed crow may be a persona perhaps taking over the last green seer or Brent or Brendan rivers blood Raven, right? It's there's like, there's could be some things going on there and it just sort of is intriguing, right? Because now he's here. Bran is thinking about these wolves and he's thinking about his siblings, but there is also this one other one that's out there, this white one who has no voice. And of course, what is the connection there between the white wolf? In some sense, you could look at this line and this is, this is why, we talked about George's writing is absolutely insane. We're not even th four paragraphs into the chapter and you could theorize about a million different things <laughs> going on in here because the white one who has no voice, you're just this idea of this white wolf. That's different than them. Like in some sense, you could look at that and say, well, that's another piece of the puzzle to say that John is not like them. Right. Because John, we know could be a Targaryen. You can that's use that as that. Yep. Yeah, you could also use it as this white wolf that's different. Maybe because the white wolf, who with this white wolf with red eyes, is also you know has some connection to Blood Raven. So it's like hmm. that wolf was placed there, you know, separately and differently. You know, it is interesting just when you think about the wolves. These dire wolves somehow got past the wall. That's never been explained. Um, it could be that dire wolves just grew up on their own inside of the the woods. You know, they're big and they're, um, you know whatever uh the, that it could just happen but you know it seems to be that they like the theory is that they somehow got you know slipped past the wall because that's where dire wolves would exist and we get this white wolf right that is somewhat different and it has very similar characteristics to blood raven who is also a targaryen and he happens to, that wolf happens to be chosen by john who also a Targaryen. So there's, I mean, there's so many different threads going on here. And again, we're four chapters in. Now, if you go a little bit further, this is where it gets even more kind of interesting. So the, the just the next paragraph here, the woods belong to them and the snowy slopes and stony hills, the great green pines and the golden leaf oaks, the rushing stream, the blue lakes fringed with fingers of white frost. But his sister had left the wilds to walk in the halls of man rock where other hunters ruled. And once within those halls, it was hard to find the path back out. The wolf pin prince remembered. The winds shifted suddenly, right? The deer and fear and blood. The scent of prey woke the hunger in him. So 
what's interesting there is again okay now here's summer smelling deer okay he's gonna go hunting but it's deer and fear now what do you associate deer with the baratheons what hmm. you know like what i mean what is you know what is going on there it's like and again you think about this the woods belong to them well when they were you know before the deer showed up the woods did belong to them. That's where they grew up. They hunt, you know, they played together and Winterfell was their thing. And you think about Winterfell, it's like surrounded by woods and this big open, you know, northern countryside. So in a way, you can almost kind of view this again as it's kind of like a pro. It kind of resembles the first brand chapter a little bit in this prologue because one of these wolves, one for each of them. And now you look how far we've come from that, you know, brand. This is brand one of the yeah. Storm of Swords back to brand one and there's a lot of parallels in this chapter yeah and george definitely thinks about those things and that's one of the things about his world building that has always stuck with me and it's one of the reasons why i returned the series six seven eight nine times now is the fact that whenever he was considering the house uh emblems and stuff and i know george is a gardener and he makes up a lot as he goes but he has done a great job of keeping symbolism and meaning very very consistent and having different layers like when we think of the starks we think of a territory in the world. We think of the old gods and we also think of wolves. We think of snow. We think of winter and those things are all tightly associated. And then he gets to kind of dive in and use these different pieces of symbolism to, to layer his writing. And we can extrapolate meaning and thematic values out of that. And it's uh it's my favorite series because of st stuff like this. I a hundred percent, think that it calls back to the first brand chapter and is a beautiful way of doing it without being so on the nose. It's, it's almost a reminder for those who want to read closely enough instead of, and this is something that like wheel of time is very guilty of. It's just repeating things over and over and over of like, right. who is the dragon and what the dragon reborn and stuff. George actually does a great job of, of kind of slipping these little reminders in in a much more, um, imaginative way rather than just verbatim telling us the information and exposition dump again. So he, he does yeah, a great show, job of that. Yeah. Show me that it's important. Don't tell me that it's important. Yes. And if you're going to tell me, do it like he does in this chapter with the Manderleys and the Karstarks. Like he's reminding us of the lay of the land in the North and what families are important. Just a little check-ins. And it makes sense because Bran's thinking about where he can go and what he has heard about these families from Ned back in the day. And it's just a quick reminder, just a quick reminder of who belongs in the North. And then we see the Manderleys come to center stage in A Dance with Dragons, which is really cool. So, you know, he he knows how to leave those breadcrumbs, I think maybe also for himself, <laughs> uh, but definitely for us readers, too. Yeah. So uh, this this continues on for a little bit. A lot of these little uh, I mean, again, honestly, we could. <sighs> We could honestly probably do, and maybe we should at some point come back to this with like a Patreon, like a big extended, just to pull out as many themes as possible. Because a lot of these brand chapters are like this, especially the early ones in 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 the books. Yeah. Um, and actually, one of my favorite brand chapters is coming up here. I think uh, it's in this book. It's where Bran is in one of the towers at the wall, and then John is on the other side because like John's going this way and Bran's going this way, yeah. and it's just cool because you you get like each person's perspective of it, and so it's just it's just one of those things that's kind of cool because you don't really get that very often. Yeah. Um. And what? so anyway, so as this, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go no, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. okay. So anyway, so as it's continuing here, Bran is you know sort of there's a lot of themes and everything going on, but right as he's about to begin to feast, as summer Hodor. 
Hodor. And then Hodor begins to sort of pull him out. And he's like, I don't want to, I, you know, I don't want to. And then Jojen's going to talk to him here. But again, this is another one of those things is, man, you, you know, assuming that the Hodor thing is going to happen in Winds of Winter, which I 100% think yes. it's going, I think that's like the most yeah, obvious. Told that, so. Yeah, that, that's definitely happening. Um, maybe a different sort of, you know, how it happens. It may not be a Night King or something, but. Yeah, it's going to be they're going to be attacked by white walkers and whites and and it's going to be good on pretty similar and brand will have gone back in the past and done something so there's another thing we could break down is what is the hodor thing going to look like and what's going to be the significance of it in winds of winter but uh here again so now you have hodor pulling bran out of this like warging dream so, I mean, what do we, you know, what do we think about that, like, connection in itself? Not just as, like, oh, face value, but, I mean, is it a deeper thing, too, that George is doing here? Yeah, and if Bran has the ability to interact with timelines, I mean, is it possible that Bran from the future is using Hodor in the past to pull his past self also out of the war? <laughs> like, like yeah, we can I mean, get really meta here if we want to. Um one of the things that I did notice about this is that a couple things about Hodor are set up. Uh, one, you can tell that Hodor is very difficult to control, but Bran just, just has the right things to say that that can kind of calm him down or get him distracted, um, which is going to come into play later whenever Bran feels the need to warg into Hodor. Um, so we kind of start seeing that, like we could see how Hodor could blow their cover. Right. Um, on top of that, also we kind of see that, man, Hodor's beating up a tree with a really crappy rusted out sword from the crypts. And it's kind of setting up like, Hey, Hodor might be Hodor, but he can absolutely melee things even with a crappy sword. So I think that that's also a bit of a, of a clue that uh, Hodor at some point is going to do a lot more fighting. Um, yeah. Hodor is the one to call him out though. It's a good, uh, good little detail to point out. Yeah. Um, okay, so as it kind of, you know, continues on here, this is where Jojen and Bran sort of start talking and Jojen's like, hey, you can't, you shouldn't do this. Uh, you need to kind of think about what you're doing here. And I really do like this sort of dialogue that Bran shares with him. He's like, you know, tell me who you are because he wants him to make sure, hey, you're actually the thing. But, you know, he says Bran, Bran the broken, Bran the Star Bran and Stark, the crippled boy, the Prince of Winterfell. And Bran is sort of thinking about all these things. But, you know, it's, again, because this chapter has so much going on with it of, like, pulling Bran and showing Bran being pulled in these different directions, it is this kind of back to reality for Bran. And I guess, you know, it's just, it's kind of interesting to think if he weren't influenced by Jojen, if he weren't influenced by Bloodraven uh, or, or the Three-Eyed Crow, um, as those could be separate entities, you know, what route Bran would go. Uh, I think he would be at high likelihood to lose himself to the wolf. I think that it is very likely that without those guardrails that he would, because he, out of all the things that he identifies as, whether it be a prince, a brother, um, a warg or whatever, it seems like cripple is the, is the title he wants the least of. And I think he finds strength within his wolf. And it's one of the more endearing things about the relationship that he has with summer. And if you think I'll actually be a kind of big picture, a song of ice and fire in a lot of ways uh, is about identity. And it's one of the themes that George explores because who is Jon Snow, right? Jon Snow is a Stark. He's a, a secret Targaryen, but he's also a bastard. He's a Lord commander. He is uh, an outcast in, in his own family for all intents and purposes. Arya clearly is going through transformations of identity when she even has different names 
Uh, Sansa has a different name. Uh, so all over this series, I think identity is played with. And if you look at each character, you can probably make a, a distinction about what they would like to be, but the situation has called on them to be something more. And Bran embodies that maybe best, best out of the whole series. And we see at the end of this chapter that he decides to keep going, to be a knight and not just be the cripple. And uh, I think it's that drive to, to find an identity other than that that, that kind of keeps him on the... I'm going to say right path, but I don't know if it's the right path. We're not sure yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's ultimately what we, you know, are going to, are going to have to figure out exactly as like, man, it, it is the big mystery of. Is you know, Bran sh- the big bad? Like it could be, bad. could be, you know, the show, the show, the show spoiled us because it, because they, went in a direction that may not be the direction that they go in here. The three-eyed crow may not be an ally. Might be an inside job than White Walkers. Who knows? Right. Um, so as it continues on here again, they're sort of going back and forth and he's just continuing, you know, uh, they're going to kind of making camp here. Hodor is like freaking out. They got to calm him down. So uh, it kind of goes on here and he's been asking him a little bit about, you know, like, uh, you know, do you remember anything? Jojen says, um, you know, what do you mean about a teacher? Brand says, you're my teacher. I know I never marked the tree, but I will next time. My third eye is open just like you wanted. So wide open that I fear you may fall through it and live the rest of your days as the wolf. I won't. I promise. The boy promises. Will the wolf remember? Uh, kind of goes on here. I, I just forget. Brand complained. I'm only nine. I, I'll be better when I'm older. Even Florian the Fool or Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight weren't great knights. Uh, when they were nine. And again, you know, that is kind of a cool little nod because mm-hmm. I think one of the things is a lot of the Starks with really maybe the exception of John. I mean, John is still half Stark um, and he grew up with them. But, you know, you look at Bran, Rick and we don't really know because we don't really ever see him. But um, Brick and, uh, but, but Bran, Arya and Sansa do still all kind of think back to the songs. Like a lot of times we just think of Sansa because Sansa gets made like publicly gets made fun of it. Mm-hmm. But you know, even Bran does. Bran does think of back to the Dragon Knight at times, and Arya thinks about Nymeria and her and her ships and stuff like that. So that is a thread that is amongst them. And maybe if we ever get more of Rickon, um, we will get some the uh, you know stuff on, on that too with him. Definitely. Um, and then Rob, I guess we you know, Rob, it's again, he's not a POV character, so we don't really see that and he's like thrust right into war and he's also a little bit older yeah so um it can can continues in here brand's asking him you know to teach him you know brand still feared the three-eyed crow you know so here brand still feared the three-eyed crow who haunted his dreams uh pecking endlessly at the skin beneath his eyes telling him to fly you're a green seer no says jojen only a boy who dreams the green seers were more than that they were wargs as well as you are and the greatest of them could wear the skins of any beast. And any there is highlighted. Or not highlighted, but it's italicized. So keep that in mind. Just the fact that, that George is very specifically saying any there. Any beast that flies or swims or crawls. And dragons. could look through dragons, krakens, who knows? Um, oh my god. And could look through the eyes of the Weirwoods as well and see the truth that lies beneath the world. The gods give many gifts, Bran. My sister is a hunter. It is given to her to run swiftly and stand so still she seems to vanish. 
Uh, she has sharp ears, keen eyes, a steady hand with a net and spear. She can breathe mud and fly through trees. I could not do those things no more than you could. To me, the gods gave me green dreams. And to you, you could be more than me. You're the winged wolf. And there is no saying how far and high you might fly if you had someone to teach you. So even there, you know, that is something in itself, too. I keep I keep I think we sometimes just think about what well, brand's going to become the next three eyed crow. He may not. He may become this winged wolf thing that might be its own thing that's even more powerful than this three-eyed crow or could, you know, go against the three-eyed crow if that is, if it is an enemy. Um, so, you know, Bran, it, Bran, it's like Bran may not go to become whatever Blood Raven slash the three-eyed crow could teach him. Bran could just, you know, he could be taught. It's kind of like Arya. Arya, yeah. at least what we see in the show, she has a lot of different trainers. She has a water dancer, which she uses to her advantage, right? To sword fight. Um, she gets needle from John. Even that is different. Mm -hmm. You know, Serial Pharrell could have taught her with a different sword, but he teaches her with needle because that's what John gives her. So that's a piece of her. Then the, the lessons she learns from the hound, the lessons she's learning from Jacken. Mm -hmm. So it is, you kind of look at all of these different pieces and that's happening with all of the Starks, multiple teachers. Yeah, and also the teachers, for the most part, are also being affected too, right? Like the Hound definitely changes, I think, over the course of, of the books. And man, it's just so good, the relationships in these books, even whenever they're, uh, you know, brief, they, they seem just to have so much impact. George has done a really good job of considering all those impacts. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. So, okay, so with that, um, it really kind of ends a little bit here. Um, you know, he's beginning to brands thinking back, you know, uh, some of the things his father would have thought. And he's beginning to, you know, he talks about the car Starks and stuff like that, too. But at the end, he he talks, uh, he's, you know, brand realized he was crying. Stupid boy. He thought to himself, no matter where he went to Carhold or White Har Harbor or Greywater Watch, he'd be a cripple when he got there. He balled his hands into his fists. I want to fly. Please take me to the crow. And we're going. We're going yeah. on a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Abs yeah. Abs absolutely. Absolutely crazy. So any, uh, so close closing thoughts on this, on this chapter, Jimmy, uh, just a, a big chapter, a big chapter to build out the reads. It, it builds out um, the North and, and reminds us of who is important as family wise, but also uh, gives us a big taste of warging and the dangers of, of it bran is now decided he is going to keep going towards the crow and we'll see how that shakes out in the coming brand chapters yeah okay well i did post a tiktok uh like a week or two ago about uh howlin reed saying you know will what will howlin reed's role be in winds of winter and the comment section said i never even knew he was still alive Oh, I, never, <laughs> I said, and then, you know, it's a lot of show watchers over there on TikTok, especially. Is that really him at the vote scene? I never knew that because they never made a big deal out of it and they never said it. But it is he is technically credited as as Helen Reed. So um, another one said, I think he will be the one to tell us if John was born at the Tower of Joy. He's, so, Jimmy, I guess my question to you is, what do you think Helen Reed's role will be? Is it Winds of Winter? Is it Dream of Spring? Well, here's a question. Do you think Helen Reed's the High Septon? No, I don't believe in that theory. You, you don't like that one? No, I, um, there's just there's so much that has to like. It just seems so weird that he would come out of hiding for that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, 
I like the theory. Like it's a lot of right. fun to consider, but no, I, I, I actually also don't think that it is. Um, I think that Helen Reed is going to be the one that solidifies the fact that John is who they will say he is. Uh, Helen Reed is pretty much what the last person alive from tower of joy, right? Mm, Selmy yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. So that's it. It's him. Um, so we, we, we have to find out from someone. I think it's very significant that he was there and that we haven't seen him, but he's always kind of whispered about and very mysterious. So I think he shows up, confirms John's parentage, but I also think that he could play a much bigger role. Uh, I don't know exactly what that will be, but it just seems like a character you can't have on the sidelines come in and go, hey, by the way, and then like walk away right. like he's Maury Povich telling us who's the father. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I think he has to have a lot more significance. And we have Mira and Jojen in the story, right? Like, there, right. there's other things that will that will well, we, out. Well, we did. Have well, we, we may not have Jojen <laughs> at home. Right. Yeah, we may not. We may not have Jojen. But I guess another character is Mira Reed. You know, in the show, they are literally Bran is literally like Dirt Magnus. Have, have you ever seen? Um, it's, it, I always think of this in in the movie Tombstone. Uh, you know, great, great Western great movie. movie. Uh, anyway, Powers Booth uh, is in that movie. Rip, R.I.P. Powers Booth. He was great. Um, anyway, he has this scene as, you know, uh, they're riding off, you know, it's because they get kicked out of the town, essentially Val Kilmer and all of them. He's like, well, bye. You know? And like, that's like, that's exactly like what brand does to Mary. He's just like, you know, well, like, see ya. I, I don't know what, to, I don't know what to, what to tell you, man. Like, yeah, I don't think that's what's going to happen with Mira. She, she will die before that happens. Did she get done the dirtiest by Dan and Dave of any character? Ah, it's either Sansa or her, I would say. Well, I mean, Sansa at least gets to become queen in the North. Well, I, gets... <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let me, let me, think, let me, let me, let me rethink about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. Sorry. I was thinking about like their, the end of the character arc. Yeah, no, 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 no. You are. Yeah, you're a hundred. Yeah, you're correct in that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but ben Dave are some sickos, man. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it, I guess in terms of like the end of a character, I mean, this is her. I mean, at least Baelish, like his death. I don't think it's going to go that way, but it kind of it, I could see it. Varys's death. I don't think it's going to go that way, but I could maybe potentially see. It. I know a lot of people say Danny's not going to go mad. I I still always say I don't like that Danny goes mad, but I think there's a lot of evidence. You know, for me, it's like I see the breadcrumbs along. There's the certainly way. a possibility it could happen. There's that. Yeah, there's definitely a possibility, at least even her character in the show. Um, yeah. I'm not saying I like it, but I, I don't like a lot of people. I don't get the argument that there's no way Danny would do that. I, I think there's definitely evidence to support it. But Mira Reed's character. I mean, literally, they were I mean, you know, like they were literally just like, well, like, see ya. <laughs> I mean, in the unemployment line, actress, you're out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's baffling just how they were just like, we don't even know what to do. So we're just literally going to have Brand be like, well, see you later. And then we never saw her. Is she at the tower? She had maybe at that council. I don't think so. Is it Howlin' Reed and not Mira Reed? Maybe it's Mira Reed. Maybe. She I've, might not be. I blocked it out from my memory. <laughs> I don't think she is. I know I, I don't think we ever see her again, dude. I think it's literally like, hey, literally for dragging this... me across the country later. The great the great council. Let's see here. Nope. Helen Reed sits next to uh Yara, you know, or Asha Greyjoy uh, mm -hmm. in the books. That's yeah, he's not yeah, not even he's not even there. 
doesn't work. Wow. Not going to work for me. What do you Terrible. think she, what do you think the actress thought when she read the script? And it was just like, well, see ya. She said, man, I hope they're making another fantasy show soon. I can get them. Wow. Wow. Not great. Not great. Okay. Well, all right. Well, Woo, all right. Well, that is it for us today. Uh, we're just going to end it right there. Like they ended Mira Reed's, Mira Reed's character in the show. So, <laughs> I <laughs> see. Ya. No, no, we'll, we'll do it right. We'll, we'll, we'll hit our outro here. So, all right. Well, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. Our next episode, we will be discussing a storm of swords Davos 2. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendtheneepodcast.com. We will see you next time. And remember that winter is coming.